So we start a series tonight on the book of, of James, and uh, if you've never, never studied James, uh, just be ready, because he, he just kind of punches you in the face sometimes, in, in a good way, usually, but not always in a way that we embrace, you know, and so we're going to do our best to embrace his punches uh, as best we can, and so, what, so tonight what, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to get all the way through the first verse. Um, it's going to be awesome. And so you might be thinking one verse, probably a short sermon. Negative. Sorry about that. Uh, I, can, I can stretch uh, one verse into uh, something longer than I intended. Um, but there's a lot even in this verse that you need to know. And so a part of what I'm hoping to do tonight is to give an, like plenty of background uh, and just things that you really need to know before you tackle you know, an entire book of the Bible. And so we'll start tonight. We'll finish the first Sunday of August. And so we're going to, uh, and some of these nights will be big chunks of scripture. We, we really could spend a whole year going through it, but we're, gonna, we're just going give to uh, give ourselves to it for the summer. And so, uh, so let's look at the first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's his greetings. That's him. That's, what he's, that's how he starts his letter. And then he jumps right in verse 2, right into it. Uh, if, if you've ever uh, studied through Paul's letters, you know, Paul, he has these, this big introduction and this, I'm thankful for this, I'm praying for you about this, Please tell these people I said hello, all this kind of stuff. And then he kind of gets into this like theological, you know, whatever. And James just goes like right for it, right there in verse 2, which will be next week. And so we're just going to pick this part uh, apart just a little bit, because there's a lot of things in this verse that we need to know in order to study it effectively and uh, to kind of know where we're going. So, so let's talk about James. Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through all this stuff about him and about the 12 tribes, and then I'm going to give you uh, a couple of very digestible pieces of information that it's gonna, we're going to need over the rest of the summer, and we'll kind of revisit those uh, each week. Um, okay, so James, let, let's do a little, a little background on him. Uh, if, if any of you ever grew up in the shadow of a, an older sibling who was just the greatest, like they made great, good, good grades and they were you know, good at everything that they would do and they're the parents' favorite and all that kind of stuff, use nothing compared to James because he was the younger brother of Jesus Christ. That was his big brother. That's the shadow that he grew up in. And so, uh, yeah, the one who never sinned, ever. So you, you may have like this weird you know, whatever, with your older siblings, and maybe your parents think they never did anything wrong, but you know differently. But in James' situation, it's true. Like, Jesus never did anything wrong, and he had to just deal with that. Uh, and so he's the, he's the brother of Jesus. Um, James, this James is not, uh, you know, you have James and John who were brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee, called the sons of thunder. This is not the same guy. Uh, this James did not, uh, he was not one of the disciples, um, while Jesus was here on earth. In fact, James was not even a believer during Jesus' earthly ministry. You don't need to turn to it. Um, We're going to put John uh, 7 up on the screen there. Um, This is what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, 
Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because, of, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booth, uh, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, "Leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Uh, for not even his brothers believed in him." So those who grew up in in his own home, as Jesus, uh, uh, you know lived his entire life and was baptized and had this earthly ministry, his brothers, like his siblings, did not believe that he was who he said he was. And, uh, and maybe, you know, we could dissect that a lot. But that's just what you need to know, that this, this particular James uh, was not a lifelong believer uh, at all. In fact, he watched his brother minister for three years in the entire area. All these miracles, all these teachings, all this whatever, um, watched him Watched him die and still didn't believe. But then we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, uh, this, like where James is mentions, mentioned the next time. Starting in verse 3, it says, for I, delivered, for I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So that James, that's his brother. And so, um, so historically, when you map everything out, you have James who wrote the book of James that we're talking about. Uh, not a believer till his, he watched his brother die on the cross. Still not a believer. Jesus raises from the dead. Easter Sunday happens. He starts making these appearances. And when James saw the resurrected Jesus, he was like, this is legit. Which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, that's a part, of, a part of how God designed things. And so that's when this James became a Christian, as we would understand it. And so let this, let this be just kind of a side, like, like uh, encouragement to those of you who have uh, family members who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, one, Jesus himself had siblings who did not know him as Lord and Savior. So as he intercedes for you, as you're praying for those close to you who don't know him, know that he knows exactly the pain of watching siblings not believe. He gets that. He gets that. His intercession is more effective because he walked in that same struggle like you do. Um, and also let that bring hope uh, that, that here you have James who, uh, we're talking in a second, what he went on to do. He went on to do tremendous things for the Lord. We're talking about him all these years later. Uh, and he was uh, what you would call a late bloomer in, in, the, in his faith. And so uh, maybe, maybe let that comfort you a little bit. Uh, as you are burdened for those that you're close to who don't know him, it doesn't mean that we like, dismiss them and write them off. Jesus didn't dismiss James, uh, and James went on to do some tremendous things. And so let that breathe a little hope into that situation. And so, so that's the background on James. So James becomes a believer at some point around, like at, during the resurrection time. He then becomes you know, affiliated with the Christian uh, brothers and sisters who were there in Jerusalem. Jesus told him to go and pray. And so James was a part of the gathering at Pentecost. 
He was in the room when they were praying and the walls shook. He was there when the Spirit uh, of God came into the world, when uh, people were speaking in other languages. And um, when all those things were happening, James was in that mix of people. Um, uh, Peter was the, the head of the Christian church in Jerusalem for a while. Peter began to do a lot of traveling and different things. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem uh, after like, he kind of took over for Peter. And then in Acts 15, there's the Council of Jerusalem. It's like a big, huge moment in the history of the church. And James oversaw that entire gathering, that entire council or whatever. So James was basically the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, of the Christians in Jerusalem that gathered. He was the shepherd pastor of those folks. So, um, so that's kind of a, a broad stroke overview of, of like historically like who he is. Um, he was, was called James the Just. That was his you know, nickname or whatever. And it's because he was so driven in his holiness and his pursuit of the Lord and his uh, ministry. Um, there's one, one quote that I read in a couple different commentaries that said that, that he was known for having, uh, like his, <laughs> this sounds weird, but his knees were very like leathery. Uh, they describe his knees like a camel, which I don't really understand, but... Uh, and I think about how every time I see a camel resting, they're always like on their knees. And I guess that's what it means. Um, but it's because he was constantly uh, like kneeling, praying for the people of Jerusalem, the people in his church. He prayed so much that like his knees were leathery, you know, like that. So James the Just, that's where that comes from. Uh, this dude was major. He was just the most he would just was legitimately all in. Uh, and, and everything, and so that's who who writes this book um, that we need to that we're going to study a little bit together. Um, you notice in the first verse, if we go back to that for just a second, book of James it says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a just an absurd amount of humility in how he describes himself, because like unless you like unless you were to connect some dots you wouldn't know that he was the brother of Jesus you wouldn't know that he was like the boss man of of the church in Jerusalem you wouldn't know that he oversaw the council he 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 didn't he chose not to include all these all this data and all these statistics and all these credentials that are impressive uh, to him the impressive thing about him was that he was very unimpressive that he was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ he could have said a lot of things, and that's what he chose to say. And I think that speaks volumes about who he is. So, so that, that's, that's James. And then the next part of the first verse says, uh, To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Okay? Um, if, if, you, if you look at the history of Israel, they are, uh, they, they've had it rough. They've had it rough. Uh, the, the, the Jewish community uh, has suffered... Uh, just tremendously, tremendously. And so um, what he's doing in, in using this language is he's, he's evoking like the heritage there. It's very important. Uh, you go back to the Old Testament, you have the, the ten uh, northern tribes are, uh, are basically removed from their land and taken to Assyria. Um, you know, a number of years later, the southern two tribes are taken uh, to Babylon. And so um, the, here they are, they come into the promised land, they get all set up and everything's established. And then uh, this army comes in and just like moves them all elsewhere. 
so they're, they're, they're being dispersed, they're being displaced, they're being scattered out um, historically. Uh, the same thing had happened in, in the first century. So, so, in, so after, uh, after the Spirit comes and uh, you know, people are, you know, everything's just kind of, there's just a lot of activity, a lot of things going on. Um, in Acts chapter 8, we have this verse that kind of gives us a little bit of insight as to what's going on. Um, in chapter 7 is where they, uh, where they wound up killing Stephen. And from, from the execution of Stephen, uh, like chaos kind of broke out. And so we see in verse 1 uh, what, this, what the more contemporary dispersion, uh, displacement uh, was talking about here. Um, Verse 1 says, and Saul approved of, this, of his execution. So that's Saul who would become Paul, who would write much of the New Testament. Um, he was, uh, yeah, he persecuted and had Christians killed at one point. So there's an, another bit of hope for people uh, right there that Jesus Christ has the power to change any human life. So there's two examples already. Um, Saul approved of his ex- execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, uh, except the apostles. So, uh, so Stephen is killed, and then there just becomes this big hunt for Christians, and uh, they began to flee. And so they were fleeing Jerusalem, and then, so that dispersion, this is another, this is the New Testament dispersion, where here they were on one place, and they start to just scatter out. Um, and these are Jewish Christians. These are people who have a Jewish uh, heritage, and they have... Uh, place their faith in Jesus and what He has done as Messiah, and so uh, they begin to just run for their lives. and And here's here's what happened, and it's 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 terrible. Uh, so they so they're running and they're being persecuted, and they're just they're getting their families together and they're just hightailing it out of there, going all these different directions. Um, something that we know uh, from studying Jewish culture is that hospitality was a major deal for them, and. Uh, so, um, so these Jewish Christians would they would go and they would find a pocket of of um, of Israelites who were living somewhere. They would show up. They would say, "Hey, we were run out of Jerusalem, you know, whatever." And because they were Christians, this group of of the Jewish faithful uh, would basically just reject them or persecute them further. They would join in the persecution because to convert to Christianity from Judaism uh, was like just. It was unthinkable to them. I mean, it was like, how could you betray us and say that Jesus is the Messiah when he is not? And so uh, places where they should have been able to find refuge uh, as they're running for their lives, they actually found more persecution. Um, and so, so they would stop trying to find Jewish communities, and they would go to find non-Jewish communities or Gentile communities. They would show up there. The Gentiles would recognize, like, hey, these people, are they're, they're scared. They don't have anything they're vulnerable, uh, and they would just get like they would just exploit them basically in like whatever way you can think of, um, and so uh, so they became like very very poor. They became the, um, the if you think like the caste system like in India like the just the, socially just the lowest of the low, um, taken advantage of in, in every possible way. Uh, some commentators that that I was reading they they. They said it's, it's similar to, like, after the Holocaust, uh, like, you, when you read some of those writers and stuff like that, and they talk about just the conditions, especially, like, in Europe, uh, just how the, the continued mistreatment of the Jewish people, they were, people just saw them as dogs, and it was, they, it was just, just this terrible thing. And so, um, so I, I say all that to, ba- to basically say this. 
here's James, right? Um, he was pastoring this group of people. He shared the truth about Jesus. He organized things. He, they were discipling. They were learning. They were growing. Acts 2.42 is happening. Um, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, breaking of bread and a prayer. And, um, and, and God was using their, their generosity and their hospitality and to bring people to Him. People were getting saved. There were just hundreds and hundreds being baptized. I mean, all these things were going on. James is, is a part of overseeing all this. Um, these were people that he knew, people that he loved, people that he had baptized himself. He, he, knew, he, he knew them. And then Stephen gets killed Persecution breaks out, and they're just scattered all over the place. And not only are they scattered all over the place, they're being mistreated in every single place that they try and go. And so it had to break his heart. This letter is, is a, a pastoral letter that's written to people who were grouped up in these Jewish Christian house churches who at one point were part of this congregation, and they all got spread out. And he's, like, he's, he's heartbroken for what's going on. And so as rough as James can seem at times, he loves them deeply. This book is very caring. Uh, it's very strong. Uh, it's very, very pastoral. And so, um, so that, that's some of the social stuff that was going on. But here's, here's like the, the second half of that conversation. As these Christians would land somewhere, uh, they, would, they would either find themselves, you, you know, being mistreated, living in poverty, uh, you know, just whatever. Um, or, and, and really struggling if that was the case. Or they would kind of just start selling out, basically. You know. So when you find out that, hey, every, every, every group of people we come up on, once they find out we're connected to Christ, they rebuke us. But, if, but we're Jewish, and so if we just kind of default to... Like that, kind of take Christ out of it. Instead of saying we're Jewish Christians, just say we're Jewish. Then they welcome us. Then they help us find a place to live. Then they help us get jobs. And so you kind of have, and I'm overstating it, but just for simplicity's sake, you have people, people living in the worst conditions and not processing it well, not dealing with it well. Or you have people who have, have compromised their faith uh, in order to get ahead in life because they don't like the circumstances that this other group is in. And so this is happening all over the place. And not only in Judea and Samaria, but when you start to read, I mean, they're scattered all around the Mediterranean. They're into, into Asia, Asia Minor. They're into Europe. They're all over the place. They're all scattered out all because of persecution. And here's James trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we keep this going? Because there's something very important that they all need to know. Uh, there's some, very, there's some, some pastoral guidance that they're going to need, whether they're in the worst conditions or whether they have sold out. They need to know some very important things. And since we're not all together for them to hear it, how do, we, how do you pastor people from far away when they're in these terrible, terrible circumstances? That's the, the background of what is happening. Um, and so I want to just I want to review a couple of these important things before we kind of go to the last deal. Okay, so you're going to see these these slides every week for the next you know the whole time because it's important that we understand you know a couple of these things. So I kind of broke it down 
nice and neat. So first thing we're, is who, who are we talking about? Uh, so James the Just, leader of the Jerusalem church, and the brother of Jesus. All right? He wrote the letter. He's, that's him. He's awesome. Okay. James the Just, leader of the Jerusalem church, brother of Jesus. Uh, the next one, what, what are we dealing with in this book of James? It's a letter to Jewish Christian house churches scattered throughout the region. Okay? So it is a letter. It doesn't always read like a letter. Um, some people liken it to Proverbs. Like it's, this, it's wisdom literature. It's, like a, it's really like a little collection of sermons that he's kind of pieced together. Paul's letters look a lot more like a letter than this one. But um, I've combed through way too many pages of super nerdy New Testament people defending the fact that it is a letter. So let's just say it's a letter and we'll move on. Uh, with that, okay. So it's a letter to Jewish Christian house churches scattered throughout the the region. Um, the next one, uh, when when has, when's all this going on? The early to mid forties, uh, like the real forties, not the nineteen forties. Um, this is the oldest New Testament book uh, that we have, and sure, people want to argue about that, but most most people are like, this is this is the first one. Uh, this is before Paul's letters. This is, you know, whatever. So this is really, really old. What we're seeing when we go through this book, we're seeing the church that we are a part of in its earliest stages. When we read Acts 2 and we see some of those things and we like talk about the early church, okay? Acts is describing what's happening. James is, is offering pastoral guidance into some of these things as they unfold. All right? So it's the, the oldest one that we have. And here's the last one. Here's just kind of a general... Uh, maybe I don't know if it's the last one or not. I can't. I lost count. Where? Okay, uh, this is not the last one. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the Mediterranean, Asia, Asia Minor, Europe. That whole that whole region. That's who he's trying to to communicate to. And you know, of course, when you think, how did this? How did it get from place to place? And all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's miraculous. Let's put it that way. But it did. And so that's that's where we're talking about. And the last one. Um, this is why he wrote it. To pastor them through difficulty with this message. No matter what is going on, live out your faith. No matter what is going on, live out your faith. So here they are in these circumstances. And when it says, when I say like, no matter what's going on, he's going to cover like a number of different topics through here. You go through the letter... Uh, he's going to talk about the, the rich and the poor and the divisions that come with that uh, for them. He's going to talk about um, the like understanding like the importance of our words. He's going to talk about faith uh, and how when there's no action there, it doesn't really mean anything. He's saying, uh, I'll show you my faith by how I live. Uh, he, he, goes, he just covers like a number of these topics and worldliness and um, all these kinds of things. But it, it really all boils down to this. He's like, you've you got to live it out. Your circumstances, how you're feeling, what's going on, the unfairness that's there, all this kind of stuff. None of, none of that stuff is a, is a reason to stop living your faith out. So no matter what's going on, you live it out. That's why people love James. That's why people hate James. You can't argue with that. You know, there's no like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And he's like, no. You live it. You absolutely live it out. Um, turn, to, uh, turn to Mark 9. We're not going to go there right now, but I want you to just kind of be there when we get there. You have these people living in chaos. 
That's when you, you look at from, from, that, from the stoning and the murder of Stephen through the, the scattering of persecution and where things have landed, it's just, it's just chaotic, you know. Um, and I know it's not the same, but, but just in thinking about uh, like, the, like Katrina and how crazy everything was, like in New Orleans and here, and it was just one of those things where like, you just don't know what is happening and when I think about people being, like, like, the dispersion and people being scattered, I think about that when they were just loading people on buses and just, like, shipping them, basically, you know, to these cities and, and families being separated and they didn't know what was going on and how to communicate. And I just remember how crazy it was. Uh, I remember, like, the, um, like, to this day, when a chopper flies over, like, I think about how many days we had those, those Hueys flying over us all day long, all day long, all day long, bringing people in. Uh, to LSU at the you know and that was the the big like medical triage thing and I just the the craziness that was uh, all those kinds of uh, just that whole thing when I think about chaos that's the closest I ever really remember being to nobody knows what's going on and I think that's kind of how things were for them and so for James to say hey it doesn't really matter what's going on you live out your faith that's the most important thing that you can do I think it's a challenge because what he's really saying is, is this. Uh, if you really believe something, it shows up in how you live your life. And the inverse is true as well. If you are not living it out in your life, then you don't really believe it. I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard like, truth to, to really like, get behind, you know? But it makes perfect sense, you know. Like if I if I am if I'm up before you and I like go on this rant about recycling, and I'm like, we need to be stewards of the earth that God has, has given us, and this and this and this, and I all these reasons to recycle and all this kind of stuff or whatever, and then I don't recycle, then there's there's an inconsistency. So I'm saying I believe this. But my actions show that I don't believe this. And that's, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there's this, there's, it's almost like, like the noun and the verb of life have got, to, have got to line up. And if they don't line up, then that means that you, you really don't believe what you say that you believe. And I think that that's difficult for us. And James is not talking about recycling. James is talking about the big stuff of life. He's saying when you don't live your faith out in real life, it means that you don't really believe what you say that you believe. And I think that, that that's, that's hard for me to hear. It's hard for me to say. I think about James, and, and here are these folks who he invested in his the leadership that he had gathered. I mean, these are people he knew them. Like I was saying, he baptized them. He knew them. And to find out that they are, are like struggling and not trusting the Lord in the midst of those struggles, to find out that they are renouncing the name of Jesus in order to ease their circumstances, you know, the fact they're selling out. Really, both of them are selling out. Just the fact that they are not living out the faith that, they, that, that he knows that, that they had, it kills him. 
And he's pushing them to live it out, no matter what's going on. And I, and I see that. I see that in my, in my life. I see that in our collective life. That, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come in, in here and we'll, we'll sing these songs that are just ridiculously solid, you know. We'll declare this truth. We'll, we'll get in a community group and we'll, we'll open up about things. We'll get into the Word. We'll, we'll share our lives. And we have these, these declarations that we, that we scream, that we say, or that we would state, this is what I believe to be the most important thing. When it comes to walking, like putting action to that, a lot of times, like those things are, they aren't consistent with each other. And so if I say, if I say, um, I believe that, that Jesus loves every person equally, that every, everybody's made in the image of God, everyone is the same, everyone is worthy of dignity and respect from being an image bearer of our Lord. And he wants everyone to know that he loves them and cares for them. If I say that and I believe that, yet when I'm living my life, I'm judging people, I'm ignoring people, I'm making fun of people, I'm refusing the opportunities that he gives me to make connections, uh, I'm... I am actually judging them. I do have these prejudices. I, I am careless with my words. If all these things are, are, are being carried out in my actions, then there's a problem in that it's not really what I believe. And so the question is, so do you fix the action or do you fix the belief? And I think the question is, well, you fix both, really. But what James is telling them is, he's like, let's go to the action. Let's implement the actions that we know to be true and it's almost, it, it seems at first to be a reversal of what Paul, Paul says, you know. So we spend all this time uh, railing against behavior modification, right? Like, we'll just stop doing these things, start doing these things, and everything will be all right. But Paul was against that as, as a means of earning the grace of God. And so that's what we're railing against, is it's, it's not like, hey, if I, if, if, I do, if I do this all these things right, does that mean Jesus smiles at me? Okay, then I'll try to do all these things right so that he smiles at me. He's like, no, it's not about earning that. And so in Paul's letters, he starts with the theology and lets the action flow from that. And James kind of does the opposite. He's like, hey, let's start with the action. Let's start like, caring for people, watching what we say. Let's, let's go toward the action and, and through those actions, God will, will solidify that belief. So he kind of, they're, they're really attacking the same thing, just from two different angles. But it's going to feel, at times, as we study, it's going to feel like James is teaching behavior modification, like he's teaching earning. And, and so you really just have to like, fall back on this thing. What's, what's the motive behind, behind it here? What's the motive? If the motive is to earn the favor and grace of God, then it's bad. If the motive is to grow in Christ-likeness and pursue holiness, then fine. And so that's what James is saying, is, hey, our, our beliefs and our actions have to line up. And if they don't, then we need to do something about it. And so to the folks who, that he's writing to who are being persecuted and they find themselves in poverty, they find themselves um, uh, being exploited by the rich... He's saying, like, hey, live out your faith as a poor person. Live out your faith as one being exploited. 
Live out your faith as someone who is the victim of all this injustice. You live out your faith. And to those who are making a choice to deny Christ and just to ease their circumstances, and hey, live out your faith in that. Recognize that Jesus is greater than your circumstances, that your physical uh, and personal comforts are just not, they're just not as important as you're making them. Live out your faith. I think to us, when, it, when, when, we're, when we, are, we find ourselves uh, mistreating people, saying, hey, live out your faith in, in your interpersonal relationships. Stop being such a racist sometimes. Stop judging people because they look different than you or talk different from you or dress different from you. Stop being such a jerk. That's what James would say. Not me. James said it, not me. But think about it. It's like, hey, if you believe that, then live it out. No matter what's going on, you live out your faith. If, if, you're, if you're immersed in materialism or idolatry or uh, like trying to like gain wealth, then like you deal with that stuff. Live out your faith. If you say Jesus is the most important relationship in your life, yet there's no prayer, there's no time in the Word, there's no biblical community, you're not there, then, then fix that stuff. Get into the Word. Start praying. That's what he's saying. Like, live out your faith. No matter what's going on, you live what you know to be true in that situation. Don't sit there and whine and don't complain. Consider big picture what's going on. Who is Jesus? Uh, is he good? Uh, is he sovereign? Is everything going to be okay? Uh, those kinds of things. No matter what's going on, you live out your faith in who he is. And I don't know where, where that really hits you. You know, I don't. Sometimes I have to be real careful with like examples because I get myself in trouble. But think about your life. Like think about where where the your actual actions are being inconsistent with what you know to be true. And you start to figure out, okay, what do I need to do? Can my actions solidify my beliefs? Is my are my beliefs, my way of thinking going to lead to more action. And what you realize is no matter where you start, it feeds the other one. It's this perpetuating cycle of action, belief. Belief gets stronger, leads to more action. Action makes belief stronger, and it just keeps going and going and going. And that's what James is going for. He's like, hey, quit whining. Quit focusing on your circumstances. Quit saying everything's so unfair. Quit saying where's the Lord and this and this and this. And you live out your faith, whatever's going on. So in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, there's this really great story. I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry, not chapter 9. Start verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and... He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? 
He said, from childhood. It's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying that, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And in verse 24, I believe, I believe that that's the... That's the, the next step for you and for me. Like if the overall book of James is, is, is saying no matter what's going on, you live out your faith. I think we have to get into a place where we're like, okay. I believe these things. And when my actions are inconsistent with my belief, then obviously I don't believe these things in the deep ways that I need to. So we echo what this father said to Jesus. He said, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? It's not contradicting. It's being honest. He's saying, no, like I really have faith in this, but I'm, I'm obviously coming up short too. Help me. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful uh, thing to be able to come to Jesus and say, will you help me? And to be able to be honest enough to say, I obviously don't believe these things as much as I should. Will, will you help, help me? Will you help me in action? Will you help me in thought? And what's awesome about this story, or one of the many awesome things, is that Jesus wasn't like, well, until there's zero unbelief, I'm not going to do anything. God says, I believe. Will you help my unbelief? Jesus like, yeah, I'll heal your kid. Cast the demon out. Raised him up. Jesus says, yeah. And here's the thing. Jesus is on board with helping us. He is on board with helping our lives line up with our convictions. He's on board with strengthening our minds and empowering our actions to produce holiness in our lives. He is in we don't have to twist his arm. We don't have to beg him. We don't have to act just right. Like he's on board. He's already said it. No question. He's in. We just have to humble ourselves enough to say, Will you help my unbelief? Will you help me because my life doesn't look the way that it needs to? And Jesus will do that. One of the things that James is going to challenge us to do as we study it is to put some legs to what we say we believe. Are you, are you open to that in these areas of life where, where you know it's ain't right? Are you, are you ready for that? Are you ready to be pushed into action? James would say, let's go all in. No matter what's going on, you live it out. And so that's where we're headed for the summer. It's a faith that's put into action no matter what is going on. So I don't know where that hits you. That's between you and the Lord. But we're going we're gonna to sing it out a little bit. 
uh, and let him process it together. So I'm going to pray as the band comes back up. Lord, um, we thank you for, uh, for the faith of James, for his life story, and uh, the fact that you uh, really do have the power to change any human life. That you take someone who grew up literally in the present in your presence on earth and didn't believe. And you saved him and sanctified him and grew him and empowered him. And the world looks different because of his life. We thank you, God, to be able to see those examples. Help us help us to to step into that uh, into that stream of hope. The same, the same goes for us. In times when, when our lives are inconsistent with our beliefs, and we cry to you and we say, will you help me in my unbelief? We thank you, God, that you say yes. That you work in tandem with us. That it's not a situation where we do everything or you do everything. That we work together So Lord, we need, we need your grace in order to humble ourselves and, and pray that prayer. We need your grace to help us be humbled and see our lives and the inconsistencies that may be there. We need your grace to help us know the difference between a motive of earning and a motive of holiness and the pursuit of godliness in all things. We need your grace for us to be humble enough to look at our circumstances recognize when we're not living out our faith in the true ways that you've called us to. And your grace to make us humble enough to have courage to take those steps forward.